know when the miracles were going to happen. He was not startled when he said a few words and some dead were raised. He seemed to anticipate everything. Nothing really astonished him but one thing. Only one thing do we find, according to the Gospel writers, amazed Jesus, and that was the lack of faith, the doubts that some of his disciples had. He just couldn't understand why people doubt. He knew that being with the Father at the time of creation, what is in man? And he knew that no man or ever woman was made for the sole purpose of doubting. No, as a matter of fact, we are made, created in the image of God. We are to believe. God created us to believe, and this is manifested in a little child. Take a little child. You can tell that child anything, and he or she will believe you. Some of you parents get in trouble because of that, you know. Children believe, and it is only when they are introduced to the world of hypocrisy and deceit. Then they are taught how to doubt. The human being is created by God in the pure state of paradise, is not supposed to be a doubting creature. Yet look at us today. We marvel at people who have strong faith. We really think, don't we, that if somebody says that they have faith that can move mountains, we think them a little naive. We think that they're closing their eyes to some of the facts of life. We look upon people of having faith as being the exception, not the norm or the rule. But that's not the way it originally was meant. People who doubted, they were the ones that were in the minority. You see, doubting is so unnatural. It's so unnecessary. It's so unreasonable. Yet there's not one of us who from time to time does not doubt. We all doubt. And Jesus still, at this Lenten season, asks the same question that he asked of his disciples there on the Sea of Galilee. Why do you doubt? Why? Now, I think our scripture lesson for today can give us some insight as to why people doubt. I think, first of all, some people doubt simply because that in the midnight of their lives, when the storms are great, the seas are shaking, and the waves are pounding, in that darkness and in that struggle, they do not recognize Jesus out there. They don't recognize him. You see, that, that's what happened to Peter and his buddies when they were out fishing. Remember, they got into the boat not because they wanted to, but Jesus made them get into the boat. They were doing what they thought the Lord would want them to do, and here it is. Now, in the fourth watch, that's sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they're out there still not getting anywhere except fighting against the storm. They think God has forgotten them, and suddenly they see some ghost upon the water, they become terrified and frightened, and like all of us in the midnights of our souls, we don't recognize Jesus. 
I had a long, long, long telephone call from a long, long, long distance a couple of weeks ago, early in the morning, from a woman who was experiencing one of those midnight hours of the soul. She's been going through tremendously deep, deep, deep waters. And now the latest wind had blown in the death of a loved one a death that was completely unexpected. She was crying and sobbing. She wanted to talk. She was having the same experience that Peter had on the Sea of Galilee. The day was dark, the storm was severe, and she couldn't see Jesus. And she doubted. A woman of the church, a good woman, she was doubting and wanting to know why. What was God trying to say? What was God trying to punish them for? Why? And she doubted. And we can sympathize. We're not criticizing because we've been through those waters and we've been in that darkness. And that's why some of us doubted because out there we couldn't see Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to us in all forms of disguise and guise. He comes to us in the wind, the earthquake, the fire, the storm, and in the still small voice. He comes in ways when we don't even expect him to come, and that's what makes it so hard to recognize him. Peter and the rest of them, they thought it was a ghost, and they knew Jesus far better than you and I know him. They saw him in person. We know him only by the power of his spirit. But they didn't recognize him, and if they who walked by his side couldn't recognize him, it's only logical that some of us, who never saw his frame nor felt his flesh, there'll be times when we don't recognize him, but he's out there. He's out there. And if you think not, you're going to doubt. It's very difficult to accept that fact, but Jesus tries to help us to do that by what he said to these people in the boat who didn't recognize him, who thought he was a ghost. Notice what he says, take heart, it is I, have no fear. But notice, take heart, you see, that, that's the clue word. He doesn't say, take mind and just accept the knowledge that I'm here. He doesn't say, just take will and, and, and stern yourself and, and make yourself accept the fact that I am there. No, this is heart business. And I'm sorry, it gets sentimental sometimes, and it's a little syrupy, and yes, sometimes pretty spooky. But that's the business we're in, and sometimes there's no way of explaining, no way of just determining and setting your will Sometimes you have to depend upon heart business, and that's heart business when you look out into the darkness in the midst of the hail and the sleet and the rain, and you say, even though my mind does not tell me you are there, even though my will wants to believe but can't, I believe in my heart. That's the only way you can do it. There's no proof that Jesus is there. Try to tell somebody in the midst of his storm or in the midnight dark hours of his soul that Jesus is working. You couldn't prove it to him or her if you wanted to. You either accept it with your heart or you don't. 
That's the only way. But still some people doubt, you see, because out there, in the darkness and in the storm, they do not recognize Jesus. Other people doubt, though they recognize Jesus, because they won't listen to him or follow him. Now that's not Peter. Peter had many, many errors and mistakes, but he listened to Jesus and he followed him. Because he said, as our scripture lesson says, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And the Lord answers with one word, one word, come. And Peter, listening, obeyed. And you can see that big old lumbering hunk of humanity getting up out of his, in a boat, what do you call it? You call it a pew in church, but I guess you call it a seat in a boat. He gets up. You see him crawling over the side, you're seeing him let go, and you be, see him creating a miracle. He's walking on the water. Thank the good Lord for the Peters of this life. Peter, you know, there's quite a character. An individual who I think all of us can identify. You know, he's not like John. John seems to me like a bookworm and was always writing and reading. And James, I think he'd have been horrible to live with. Paul, ugh, he'd have been terrible. But Peter, hmm, just like so many of us, lumbering along, opening his mouth far too much, always sorry that he said what he said, always impetuous, impulsive, wanting to get going. We can really identify with this kind of a guy. Jesus liked him too. What did he call him? The rock. The rock. Yes, there's a little bit of Peter in each one of us. But you know, I think if I'd have been in that boat, on that Sea of Galilee, I don't think I would have done what Peter did. No, sir, if I'd have said unto Jesus, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come on the water, then I will come. And if Jesus would have given me that one word and said, come, I think I'd have said, are you sure, Lord? And if he had said, yes, I'm sure, come, I think I would have said, are you really sure, Lord? <laughs> and I think if I had gotten enough strength and gotten up out of that pew or that bench in the boat and crawled overboard, I don't think I'd have let go with both hands anyway. <laughs> you see, that's our problem, isn't it? We hear, but we don't listen and we don't follow. Jesus tells us, I love you. I love you. We hear that. I have a friend who puts that in a letter every time he writes me. We hear it in church and out of church. We hear it. But do we listen to it? If we did, I don't think as many of us would be walking around with inferiority complexes like so many of us are doing on the defensive. Jesus said, if you come unto me and tell me of your sins in sincerity, I will forgive them, I will wash them away, I'll forget about them. So we get down on our knees and we hang out our dirty laundry and we tell the Lord what horrible creatures we are, yet we hear those words of forgiveness but we don't listen to them and we get up off our knees and we're still walking around with great feelings of guilt which seem to creep out in the oddest, craziest ways that cause all sorts of trouble and heartache to other people and ourselves. 
Jesus said, if you have faith, just a little bit of it, not much bigger than a grain of a mustard seed, if you have that kind of faith, you can say unto that mountain, that big mountainous problem, move, and it will move. We hear that. We wish we had it, but we don't listen, and we go continuously tripping over anthills of despair. We don't seem to have any power. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. We hear that. We try to be warm and understanding, yet we're so frightened that somebody's going to take advantage of that love. So we become suspicious of everybody. Why don't we listen? Because you see, it's when we don't listen, that's when our doubt creeps in. I have a theory that I think one of the reasons it is so difficult for us to listen and obey and follow God it is because we have lost so much confidence in God's people. To turn a little bit of a phrase of scripture around, the reason that we cannot believe God whom we have seen have whom, whom we have not seen is because we cannot believe our brothers and sisters whom we have seen. Yes, do you realize, and I believe this is in the area of psychology, but it creeps over into the area of theology, that when I tell you I'm going to do something and I don't do it, you are justified in saying, I don't believe him. And I think if you say that about enough people in life, it's only logical that eventually you say, I don't believe God either. And you know, I haven't lived that long, but I think in our nation and in the world today, our credibility is horrible. Otherwise, I don't think we'd talk so much about it. We just don't believe each other. Remember the day when a person's word meant something? And when he said he was going to do it, you could count on it being done? Or if she said yes, or no, you could count on that. Today somebody tells you something and I think the logical conclusion for us is, well, it might happen, it might not happen. A person's word really doesn't mean much anymore, does it? No, we have contracts and then we hire attorneys to read the contracts and then arbitrators to work them out. Do you realize there's a possibility we're not even going to play baseball this year because people can't believe people? That's tragic. And if you cannot believe people who you can see, how can you believe God whom you cannot see? And that's why some people doubt. Because they hear, but they don't listen. And when they don't listen, they don't follow. And yet I think there's another reason why some people doubt it's not because they, they don't listen or not following. They do that as well as recognizing Jesus out there. It's because they take their eye off of Jesus, though, once they begin to do the impossible. See, that, that's what Peter did. Peter was one of those persons, and that's why I think we like him. He had the impossible dream. He wanted to make the impossible possible. 
He wanted to do things that made a difference here in the world. He wanted to create miracles. Thank God for people who want to help God in creating miracles. And that's what Peter wanted to do. And he did it. He did it by recognizing Jesus. He did it by listening and following the word of Jesus. But he ran into trouble when he took his eyes off Jesus when he was in the process of doing the impossible. You see, Peter was fine as long as he was looking right at Jesus. As long as he had his eyes pinpointed right on Jesus. But then when he got to listening to the wild, wild wind, and when he got to looking at the tempestuous waves, when he got to be thinking more about the might of these powers than the might of the Lord, when he took his eye off Jesus, he began to sink. And that's the way it happens. That's the way it happens. A lot of us are sinking today. We're doubting because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. I'm afraid this is what's happening to us as a nation. You see, when we begin to look at our weaknesses more than we do at our strengths, we can begin to doubt. When we begin to think more of the power of the opposition than we do the power of the Lord. And what so much I hear through all of the mass media of it today, in America we're talking about our problems, not about our power. And I think that's a mistake. It's happening in the church. I go to so many church meetings where they, all they want to talk about is what we're doing wrong instead of what we're doing right. Individuals, listen to them. Hear their prayers. We're talking so much about our weaknesses and concentrating on them and our sin that we forget we are praying for strength to the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond what we can think or do. You concentrate on all your weaknesses and you're going to lose your power. You begin to look at all the waves and all the problems. And you're not going to have that potential that God can give you in Jesus Christ. Take your eyes off Jesus and you're going to lose your way and you're going to sink. That's when people doubt. What can you do? You see, I believe that there are some people here today who are listening to this voice of this preacher who really feel today they're sinking. They're going down for the third time. They need help. What can they do? They don't want to know why people doubt. All they know is that their doubt is so strong that they're beginning to sink. You can do the same thing, Christian friend, that Peter did. First of all, you can realize you're sinking, and then cry out three words. Same three that Peter gave, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Secondly, allow his big, gracious, bountiful, wonderful, strong arms to come down and pick you up. People may say, that's fantasy, that's mysticism, I don't care what they call it. Allow Jesus to pick you up. Allow him to pick you up. And then allow him to ask that same question that he asked Peter. And notice that question. Why did you doubt? See? Not why are you doubting. Why are you continuing to doubt? It's the past tense of the word do. 
Why did you doubt? You see, in the mind of Jesus, doubting should be something for all of us that's in the past. Jesus doesn't want us to doubt, but he wants us to know why we used to doubt. He wants us to realize that doubt is something that should be in the past tense of every disciple. He wants us to realize what it is that brings doubt in so that we can prevent doubt from entering in. And I hope as a result of this interpretation of scripture, some of you have caught by the power of the Spirit why you've doubted in the past and earnestly believe, no matter how impossible it sounds, that you'll never doubt again. And then you begin relying on the strength of Jesus, who is out there all the time, who is speaking, if only we are listening, who wants us to keep our eyes on him. If we do that, we can be people who not only doubt again and do that impossible thing, we can do possible things and make the impossible possible. And when you do that, ladies and gentlemen, you're not a person who believes in miracles, nor defends them as so many people feel they must. With God's help, you are a miracle. And what this world needs more than anything else are people who are walking miracles, doing the impossible, and doubting not in the providence of God, but sailing proudly upon the seas of life. And Jesus tells us we can be those people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all and abide with your families and guide you throughout the seas of life forever and ever and ever. Amen.